everybody, and welcome to Nintendo Week for the end of week of December 2nd through December 8th. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, and as always, I'm joined by Alex Plant. It's the most wonderful Nintendo Week of the year. <laughs> ben Lamoureux. I'm not sure that's a promise we can live up to. <laughs> we had quite a bit of news this week. There's uh, the TGAs, Minecraft on Wii U, tons of new stuff about NX, mobile plans, and more straight from Kamishima. After the break, we're talking about the recent news that Project M has been cancelled, what that means for mods, and whether Nintendo should, or should have, I suppose, taken action. So we'll jump right in. This week saw the return of the Game Awards, which included a beautiful tribute to Satoru Iwata with a powerful speech from Reggie, as well as a Mario-themed performance by Deadmau5, who also snuck in some neat Super Metroid music. But the point of the show, of course, is the awards, of which Nintendo won three. Splatoon beat out Call of Duty, Halo, Destiny, and Star Wars Battlefront, and more for Best Shooter and Best Multiplayer, and Super Mario Maker won Best Family Game over Skylanders, Disney Infinity, and others. Uh, they were also nominated for Developer of the Year, Nintendo, but lost to CD Projekt Red, who made The Witcher 3. Um, I don't know if you guys want to linger on the Game Awards too much, since they're already all said and done, but uh, does anyone want to step in, or should we? Uh, yeah, I'll just say a little bit. I, I wasn't surprised by Super Mario Maker winning Best Family Game. I thought like the marketing for that was pretty good, you know, showing like uh, parents with their kids, you know, playing because you know Mario is just such a nostalgic game. This is something that can really span generations. But I was I was very surprised to see Splatoon come away with both of those awards that you would expect to go to a, a more mainstream shooter. So that was that was a mm-hmm. pleasant surprise. I agree with the fact that Splatoon beat them all. Um, <laughs> of course, I haven't played any of those other games this generation, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was I was I was surprised too, though, just because it hasn't had as much reach uh, and as much exposure as those other games. Right, and I think it is good in in many ways, though, that it got this mainstream sort of attention here. If it's beating out games like Call of Duty and Battlefront, um, you know, that is a big point to Nintendo's favor, and it shows, I think. Uh, the many ways that creative and innovative ideas um, and also the whole, you know, cartoony family fun can sometimes be better games. Right. And I think that's something that a lot of, you know, sort of traditionally harder core gamers, uh, as one might say, um, tend to forget sometimes. Yeah. Uh, And for me, it also shows that Nintendo can step out of their typical genre spaces and still do amazingly Mm -hmm. well. Absolutely. Um, So I'd love to see them do more of that, obviously. So the next big story this week, Minecraft is officially coming to Wii U. It launches on December 17th for the eShop. It comes with a bunch of skin packs. It supports four players locally and eight players online, but you cannot play across platforms, so Wii U owners only. Uh, Mojang's released a bunch of screenshots, which, of course, look like Minecraft. Does anyone have uh, comments? It's crazy how Nintendo missed such a big game like this (laughs) by, I think it's been three and a half years at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Since Xbox got the console exclusive, about time, right? But uh, yeah. I don't yeah. know how much this is going to do, you know? Yeah, I mean, I kind of think it is a little too late, um, especially considering there aren't any skins based on Nintendo characters, which is just crazy to me yeah. in a game where custom skins are such a big deal. Um, but I still think it's going to be awesome to play, though. You know, I mean, I think Minecraft plus the gamepad will be greater than the sum of its parts. Um, this is pretty much the only major kids game that wasn't on Wii U. So the console choice is going to be a breeze for parents from now on. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, you know, Alex mentioned it doesn't have uh, Nintendo skins, which is a missed opportunity. And I, I, I kind of doubt this will happen just since it's a uh, Microsoft-owned property now. But this would be a great uh, a chance for Amiibo support, you know, skin your Amiibo and like <laughs> a Nintendo skin. Yeah, that's actually a great idea. I think we have um, heard, actually, that they're going to be doing something special for Wii U, but we haven't figured out what it is yet. Probably will be skin okay. packs, but but they haven't yeah, announced Yeah, I would anything. imagine. 
Um, I'm also a little wary of how late it's releasing uh, in this year. I mean, obviously it's releasing late for Minecraft, period. Um, but uh, And the fact that it's digital only. Can you even imagine how big an opportunity they missed for a Wii U bundle with Super Mario Maker and Minecraft? I mean, if they had had that for Black Friday, holy God. Yeah, yeah I definitely agree that uh, Minecraft as a Wii U bundle would be fantastic, and Black Friday would have been the perfect time to debut it. But I, I don't necessarily think that uh, lacking a physical copy is going to be that big of a deal for a game like Minecraft. I think just bundling it digitally with the game would have been enough. That's true. Yeah, they have been doing pre-installed bundles. The the thing for me about the physical copy, though, is that it creates a lot more awareness among families who buy video game consoles, since typically they aren't the types yeah. to download games for their children. They usually want right. to buy a physical box for their children. Um, and Minecraft is very much a, a game that's popular among kids, first and foremost. And so I think in that sense, it's a missed opportunity. But of course, uh, at this point, anyone who's aware of Minecraft and aware of Wii U is probably going to be the type who would be aware of the fact that it'd be on eShop. So I'm not... I don't know that it'll make that big a dent. Right, and in and in most stores like you know GameStop and Walmart and whatnot, the the collective 3DS, Wii, Wii U section is much much smaller than either the Xbox or PlayStation section. So I don't know that having the physical box there is really going to draw much extra attention. Sure, it's not like it's not like there's a Minecraft section, although it kind of surprises me that there that there is. <laughs> This is Colin jumping in in post here to add that uh, after we recorded last night, news broke that Minecraft Wii U will actually not support the inventory and crafting system on the gamepad. The gamepad screen is for off-TV play only, so never mind, it won't be greater than the sum of its parts. Um, Yeah, big missed opportunity. You can bet if we had known that we would have criticized that. Well, Tatsumi Kamishima was recently interviewed by Time, so a lot of news came out of there. We'll be talking about a lot of it. Um, there are a few smaller things he revealed that we can cover real quick before we get into the meteor talking points. Uh, he explains that he did not predict Wii U would fail, as Nikkei reported, but rather that uh, it would be hard to convert Wii owners. He reiterates that Mitomo is largely geared towards attracting people to Nintendo's account system and My Nintendo. He says that Nintendo's quality of life initiative is still underway, uh, despite the fact we haven't heard much about it. And finally, he says that the letters NX, as far as he knows, don't stand for anything. It's not like a code name or something like that. So before we move on from that, is there anything there you guys want to address? Yeah, Nintendo had originally planned to launch their first quality of life device by March 2017, and I'm going to say it's a pretty safe bet that's been delayed. You know, they, they also had planned to launch their first mobile game this year, and they said, oh, we, we have to delay that to March 2017 so that we can, you know, 16. promote... Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, 2016. And that's that's the same with the uh, the quality of life, that they wanted to launch it by 2016. But I, I, I assume that's been delayed. I think everything's sort of been pushed back. They pushed back their mobile plans for the holiday lineup and now i think they're going to push back quality of life until they've established themselves in the mobile market so i would be surprised if it launched before like late 2016 yep uh quick comment on his wii u prediction um i found it interesting that he commented specifically that he was skeptical that people who were already satisfied with their wii's would find a reason to upgrade it adds a little bit of flavor that we didn't quite get before which is that people wouldn't necessarily be able to distinguish them uh, he's specifically saying that, you know, what does this system offer to people who are satisfied with Wii that they don't have already? And I think that's an important point to kind of hammer home uh, because that shows that they're thinking of doing something a little more radically different with NX, uh, not just in the sense that it's going to, you know, be a different looking kind of hardware, but in the sense that it's going to give people who have a Wii U, for example, a reason to move on from Wii U. Yeah, there has to be a, a tone shift. 
Yeah, and that's actually a, a great transition to uh, our next two stories. One of them is specifically about that. But first, uh, he says one of the big things that he said was that one of his biggest jobs as president of Nintendo is to ensure that Wii U owners have games to play and don't feel abandoned before Nintendo moves on to the NX. Um, I think a lot of people got kind of the wrong idea about this, that it means Wii U is going to thrive for a long time after NX launches. Um, Whereas it sounds to me like what he's saying is really more about making sure those last few games like Star Fox and Zelda give the Wii U a proper send-off instead of letting the console fizzle out uh, before the NX in the same way that Wii and DS sort of did. And we talked a lot about making games cross-gen on both Wii U and NX, much like we've seen games do for PS4 and PS3, Xbox One and the 360. So it's possible there's that element at play too, um, that they can be talking about making games that are meant for the NX, but also cross-gen on Wii U. Yeah, I think I, I totally agree with your interpretation. Uh, it's it's going to be very different from the end of the Wii era, where, for example, we saw games like Pikmin 3 that had been announced, but never came out on Wii. They wind up coming out on Wii U instead. And it I mean, I don't know. Like, Pikmin 4 sounds like exactly the same deal. <laughs> well, they haven't said yeah. at all what system it's for. Um, they certainly haven't Did they say what it. system Pikmin? Uh, the parallel doesn't matter. I'm just joking. They announced Pikmin. Th- they first talked about Pikmin 3 in, like, 2008 or something ridiculous. Like, no one would have thought that would have been for the next system. Right. You know? Whereas uh, here they have a lot of games and they keep insisting, oh, yeah, these are coming out on Wii U. So it's a, it's going to be a very different situation, like you were saying, than uh, the, the Wii transition. Yeah, I agree that I you'd have to be pretty foolish to expect Nintendo to keep supporting Wii U for any substantial amount of time after NX launches. But the question is, will uh, will Kamishima's definition of satisfying the players with the, the end of Wii U's lineup, will that be in line with what the customers are actually hoping for? You know, you said we've got Zelda, right. Star Fox, maybe Pick coming up is three big games enough from now until the end of the wii u lifespan that uh that wii u owners will feel satisfied i mean i, I think i'm i'm fairly satisfied with the with the lineup but there's there's definitely some games that are missing that i'm a little disappointed about well that's that's sort of the interesting thing because we've seen historically the best transitions for nintendo were transitions where they continued to release games for the old system after the new one came out and like we've been saying we don't really expect that so uh you know what does abandoning the install base mean exactly I don't know. I think I think there's. I don't think we really know enough about NX to be able to speculate on that deep a level because you know we're already talking about about them abandoning the Wii U once NX comes out or maybe even cross gen. We don't even technically know if it's their next home console yet. Yeah. And I mean, we we kind of know it, but my my point is really just that I, I feel like that's getting too far into the unknown to be able to really offer you know anything meaningful yeah that's true he and he is focusing on wii u he's not saying wii u in 3ds right uh so it's possible that there is some nuance like you're saying that it could just be nx first phase will be a handheld and so there won't be any overlap with wii u sure he also said though that the nx is going to be something significantly unique and different unlike how wii u was built largely in the shadow of wii he specifically says quote we have to move away from those platforms in order to make it something that will appeal to our consumer base what direction those differences take is unclear, but it definitely sounds like they're thinking, you know, we was a fad. You can't repeat ideas like new controls and we fits here without looking at what qualities of those concepts appeal to people and the cultural and technological context that made those qualities appealing. You know, you have to repeat the ingredients of your successful product, not the product itself. And you look at these comments and you look at the kind of stuff they're doing with mobile devices, and it certainly seems like that's what they're trying to do. 
how that circles back to NX, we don't know, but I'd love to hear from you guys. Yeah, and I'm wondering if this is, if Nintendo has changed plans a little bit, and this doesn't necessarily have to be the case, but, you know, last year and early this year, um, Iwata had been saying things like, with our next console, we'll want to absorb the architecture of Wii U. We'll want to use Wii U as a base and build from there. And that could still be true on an architecture level. It's possible that there's just, you know, other differences, like with, you know, if it's, uh, if it's a hybrid console, like people have been suggesting, or if they have some interesting networking features. But it's, it's just interesting that this is the first that we've really heard a Nintendo executive say, hey, we want to do something completely different from Wii U. We want to make sure people know that this is a completely new product. Well, at the same time, though, they they recently released their developer site, which has a tool or which offers a tool called the Nintendo Dev Interface, which is basically a hardware uh, platform uh, software development kit agnostic uh, development environment. And we've heard recently uh, Takeda say from the hardware side that they're looking at virtualization, which is a way of, of making software run regardless of hardware, regardless of architecture. And so that, that could be a clue to to what they meant when they said that uh, their next system will absorb the Wii U architecture. Maybe they didn't mean that it will absorb the Wii U architecture on a hardware basis. Maybe they meant that we will take all these sort of tools that we've built and the software that we've made for Wii U and now find a way to make it so that those things can run on any kind of hardware. Right. I will say one problem with that is, you know, if the idea is to make things uh, easier for third-party developers, well, first you have to get third-party developers interested in using these tools. And right now there's just not that many third-party developers working with Wii U and 3DS, so they won't be uh, experiencing these these tools Nintendo has, has created to make it easier. So, you know, you know, they're they're going to need a fresh start with NX. They're going to need a way to attract other developers. And having yeah. more similar architecture to Xbox One and PlayStation 4 could be a big step forward in that. And it would also likely make the console much cheaper because they, mm-hmm. you know, they'd be manufacturing much more common parts instead of proprietary parts. But the trade-off is it probably would not be backwards compatible. Well, and another trade-off is how unique and different could it possibly be if it's so architecturally similar to Xbox One and PS4? Right. Uh, and in particular, if the experience of third-party developers is so similar to Xbox One and PS4. So if it's really banking on the idea of being unique and different and attracting consumers that wouldn't otherwise buy consoles that way, then how much overlap could there possibly be with the audience that third parties are trying to aim for? Uh, we saw with Wii that third parties had a difficult time going after the unique and different audience on Wii. So, you know, how is this going to be any different for NX? For NX? And, and that's really going to depend on whether NX is successful out the gate, first of all, uh, especially with Nintendo's own efforts, and then second of all, whether th- third parties are on board with that direction. Mm-hmm. Kamishima also said that Nintendo wants to make Amiibo much more about the software compatibility aspect than the collection aspect. Uh, There's a big sort of divide right now in people who buy Amiibo. You know, there are the people who collect them and people who play with them in games. And Nintendo really wants Amiibo to be about that latter group, the people who play with them in games. Yeah, and this is something that I, I, you know, said was a problem months ago. I wrote an editorial about how Nintendo hasn't, you know, maximized the potential of Amiibo because when you release them in such limited quantities and only at retailer exclusives and you know for limited amounts of time and so on and so forth you're you're branding them as primarily a collectible audience uh, a collectible mm-hmm. item to the audience and they're they're getting better i would say with you know making sure that multiple games support amiibo in in interesting ways but you know the the two ways that they need to improve if they want amiibo to actually be something that people get excited about 
in terms of gameplay is they, they need to make the gameplay better and they need to make the amiibo much more easy to collect. Mm -hmm. Because if you're just making them rare, then you're branding them as a collectible, not as a game feature. Well, yeah, and, and in particular, scarcity is a bad way to build a platform. Yeah. Uh, you certainly can't have a lot of people using a platform, in this case, amiibo, if the platform itself is not very accessible. I will say I have noticed an ad uh, that plays... Before YouTube videos, I haven't been able to find an upload of the specific ad itself, but that does a great job sort of branding Amiibo as something that is compatible with software rather than something that you buy uh, for the sake of collecting. Now, you're absolutely right that what they're doing, you know, with the scarcity and all that doesn't really brand Amiibo in that way. But at least Nintendo is aware that they're trying to brand Amiibo as something compatible with software. And at least from sort of the PR and marketing standpoint, they are making moves towards that. It sounds like they're making moves towards that uh, from a manufacturing and, and you know, development standpoint as well. Yeah, I was I was definitely really happy to hear Kamishima say that. And then, you know, at, at their uh, investors meeting back in June, they said that they were going to be doubling and tripling how many Amiibo they made for, you know, certain yeah. rare kinds because they realized, you know, hey, we're way behind demand. So it, it looks like they're taking steps in the right direction yeah and i've seen i've seen pretty healthy stock of some of the old rare amiibo at certain stores lately too so now as someone who does both it sounded to me here though like kamishima doesn't really see any value in amiibo as collector's items and i could be wrong you know that could be a translation thing there are a lot of reasons that that vibe i might i picked up might not be accurate but that is what i picked up and it's got me a little worried um because I certainly don't want to see an Amiibo environment where they're putting less in work into them as collector's items because that could mean less supply in some ways because, you know, if they're basing their manufacturing estimates on software sales that Amiibo are compatible with, uh, that could mean that they don't do as much work on making the figures look really nice the way, you know, the Smash Bros. figures, the Chibi-Robo, they look incredible. And, you know, I think stuff like the Amiibo cards and even the Knitted Yoshis are great examples of how to emphasize the software compatibility over the collection aspect, because the Yoshis really only differ in color, and the cards, I mean, there's just way too many of them to even bother. And maybe stuff like that is what he's talking about. But at least when they've got these figurine lines, you know, with X number of characters from these specific series, I think that that element of collection is what makes Amiibo so unique and so fun for me, at least. And honestly, I think it's a huge part of what pe gets people buying more characters and learning who these characters are, which is a big part already of what Kamishim is talking about in the first place, you know, the purpose that Amiibo serve for their IP. Yeah, you know, maybe he doesn't see the value um, as collector's items as much as... as uh software enhancers but at the same time you know he said that thus far he realizes that it's it's only a collector's item so i i don't think that nintendo is gonna swing too far in the other direction and stop caring about them as a collector's item i think they know there's there's too much excitement and too much money in them as a collector's yeah. item. yeah i think so too i feel but... like he's saying more that we didn't intend for them to be primarily or only collector to collector's items we would really rather yeah. them be seen as things that you can collect but things that are also going to be useful to you sure. Sure. It's just one of many ways that Nintendo is hoping to expand their their brand name, expand the uh, the awareness mm -hmm. of their IP. Yes. Nintendo accounts went live in Japan last week, and according to a Nintendo Australia representative, they'll be coming to Australia and New Zealand in March 2016. That's about three months away. It's safe to say we'll probably see it in North America and Europe either before then or right around then, yeah? Well, assuming Mitomo doesn't get delayed in the West, then yeah, we're going to see him at least by then. Yeah, sure. Josh Thomas, a great guy over at the BitBlock, has started a new series on YouTube called Make Believe, where he not only introduces new gameplay ideas for Nintendo franchises, but he fully models and renders them and puts textures and stuff. 
at, you know, the whole shebang to show viewers how they would work when they're fully realized in a game. Uh, the series started off with Animal Crossing just a few days ago, and I've got to say, it is incredible. Um, it looks like an actual game Nintendo would tour the features of in like a Nintendo Direct sort of segment. And there are some really wonderful ideas in there about how to build on what Animal Crossing is and make it miles better without losing what makes the series itself. To all you listeners, you guys should definitely check it out. Pay attention to the series because it's incredible stuff. Uh, Josh, if you listen to the show, great job. Yeah, I was I was really blown away by that. I uh, I was the one who you know covered the story for Gamnesia, and I uh, I just I don't remember where I, I stumbled across the video, and I was like, oh well, you know, check this out. I don't I'm not huge into Animal Crossing, so I wasn't expecting to be too excited about this. But yeah, he just like you said, he did a beautiful job on it. Everything's really mm-hmm. detailed, and he had a lot of great ideas that are both imaginative and new, but yet still feel very Nintendo-y. So I hope Nintendo was watching. (laughs) Absolutely. And the thing that really blew me away about this was how much it actually looked like a game. And let me be clear, listeners, it's like he put together a game. Everything's modeled. The environments are like rendered. They're in 3D. It's like he made game footage. It is incredible. And the ideas realized, I mean, they're really stunning. And I think what struck me the most about this is just how far... Fan art has come in reflecting people's passion for something and and sharing that passion with others. I mean, before this video, I wouldn't have cared less about getting a new home console, Animal Crossing. When you look at stuff like Smashified, which got a ton of people hyped for Rayman, who never would have had any support otherwise, you know, it's it's really cool and it's really empowering and it's one of the things that makes me so happy to be a gamer and and share in our love of these things with other people. Yeah. And Animal Crossing just looks great and polished in HD. So, like, a a 1080p Animal Crossing would be wonderful. His lighting effects were on point. That's sort of one of the things that, and maybe we'll talk about this more later during our discussion segment, but but not only fan art, but but modding and the idea of fans sort of creating their own takes on games, Mm -hmm. that's really evolved a lot, too. Uh, We've seen a lot of creativity from fans. We've seen a lot of fans sort of modularizing the process of development and showing that, you know, you don't really necessarily need massive budgets to achieve really great results yeah you just need a 60 dollars game that was already made by a triple a studio <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's a fair point but 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 it, i mean the, it's the passion that really makes the games great it's not oh, it's not absolutely the absolutely although so we're talking about this animal crossing make believe speaking of wii u games we'll never have fast racing neo launches on the eShop tomorrow we've got a review copy at gamnesia and steven the reviewer gave it a 9 out of 10 he is a big fan of f-zero gx he says that fast racing is a very worthy game to carry f-zero's torch fans will feel right at home jumping in new players might have a little trouble getting used to it first but he says you know you'll be fine after just a couple races so if you're a fan of f-zero definitely check out fast racing neo you can read our review you can download the game tomorrow none of us have played it because steven's the one who reviewed it but do you guys have any thoughts seeing this stuff the uh, developer, Shinan Multimedia, I think is what mm-hmm. they're called. I don't know if that's how you pronounce their name. I think so. Um, they're really great at nailing the feel of, like, the, the arcade kind of feel. And since mm-hmm. F-Zero is very much an arcade kind of racer, I, I'm, I totally believe that it carries the torch very well. Uh, they have, they're a developer with a great track record, and I'm excited to check it out. Yeah, and they're a developer uh, specifically that is, has worked a lot with Wii U and that is really familiar with Wii U's architecture and getting the most out of it. They were one of the developers that mm-hmm. was sort of defending Wii U's architecture when other people were were bashing it and saying it was you know barely on par with the last gen consoles. So they've they've been impressed with yeah. Wii U thus far and they know how to get every last drop out of it. Yeah, and the game looks incredible. It's gorgeous. It's fast-paced. It's mostly pretty fluid. I think Steven was talking about a couple of little frame-burning drops, but now you know nothing like significant. I, I think. 
man, these guys, they, Nintendo's not going to make F-Zero. These guys are doing it. Just license the property out. Oh, my God. Why not? Might as well. Because, you know, and then then everyone gets a new F-Zero and they're happy. And it's an F-Zero that completely lives up to the name. Um, and they're doing it on a budget that's not even Nintendo's. So they, they, they got to pursue that. Finally, though, last story of the day, going back to that Kamishima interview, I think this is a good note to end on. There was one section where he was elaborating a little bit on Miyamoto and Takeda's new roles at Nintendo. But at one point in there, he mentioned Yoshiaki Koizumi, the producer of specifically the 3D Mario games. And he said that Koizumi is, quote, in the office with Super Mario Galaxy. It's possible that this is something that slipped out about a new Galaxy title. It's possible that he just mentioned Galaxy because, you know, it's such a huge credit. But quote in the office definitely implies at least to me that he's working on something involving galaxies so i mean it's impossible to make heads or tails of this we don't want to get excited without anything more substantial but i'd still like to know what you guys are thinking about, about so this comment i don't think this is a case of him uh, sort of accidentally letting the cat out of the bag i think this is just kind of awkward phrasing because he was talking about how the uh, miyamoto and uh takada have their their fellow roles and he was saying you know their various duties are you know supervising this and that and he said they will also meet with other nintendo producers like kano who makes mario kart and then he said, and like Koizima, who is in the office with Mario Galaxy. So when he says in the office here, I think he means like he's in that division or in that branch. He's in, this guy's in the Mario Kart branch. Oh, uh, you think this guy's in the office the, that had? Yeah, that had, I see. That's kind of the vibe I got it. from it. And it's it's possible that it's the other way because you know a few months ago Miyamoto just very casually in an interview was like, oh yeah, Pikmin Four is almost done. <laughs> so I mean, it's it is possible that this was another casual reveal. Yeah, but I, I mean, they've been hinting at Galaxy forever. They, you know, mm -hmm. they've been they have haven't really stopped talking about it and they've said that it's a possibility dozens of times so you know i mean again i, I don't want to get excited without anything more substantial but i i feel like this could be a clue there's there's a part of me that really wants to believe and then there's the part of me that's really easily disappointed and that part <laughs> wants to just believe that Koizumi is just like chilling out in the office playing Super Mario Galaxy, crying over how he doesn't get to make another one. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll find out when we find out what the next 3D Mario title is. Yeah, I mean, it, it's what's particularly strange to me. And, you know, that's not to say that's particularly telling, but it's strange that he wouldn't say something like 3D Land or 3D World, which Koizumi was the producer of, and it's more recent, you know, that's a project that they just I don't think that's on. that strange just because of no. the, like, star power that Mario Galaxy had. Hey. Right. With... And then also that uh, Koizumi was the, the director of Galaxy, where he was just the producer of 3D World. So, you know, Galaxy was, like, really his baby. Yeah. That is, yeah. The, that is yeah. the last, like, major project that he's been I think the lead on as far as I know. Well, and then also, you know, in line with, you know, just sort of saying in the office, possibly meaning just sort of, you know, he's in that division because Kano isn't as far as we know, currently working on Mario Kart. He's in charge of Nintendo's mobile division, which means Mario Kart, <laughs> possibly. <laughs> so like I said, again, I think the, I'd like to believe, but I think the most right. likely option is he was just kind of offhand like, Oh yeah. You know, Miyamoto meets with the Mario Kart guy. He meets with the galaxy sure, guy. Sure. Know. I kind of, I kind of took that Mario Kart comment to mean you know mario kart 8 that's his most recent project you know mm -hmm. so but yeah i see where you're coming from 
Well, as always, to conclude the new segment of this week's show, we're bringing you a lightning round with little nuggets of information. If you want to read more about any of the stories we discussed earlier or anything you hear about in the upcoming lightning round, you can check them out at gamnesia.com. The latest podcast episode will show up in the scrolling feature bar at the top of the site, and on that page you will see all of these links. First, we've got some upcoming dates to look out for, as well as recent releases. Pokemon trainers can get a special Hoopa from McDonald's through Mystery Gift until December 23rd. They've also got Pokemon toys and trading cards in their Happy Meals. Triforce Heroes 2.0 update is available now, as well as the new Mahi Mahi Resort stage in Splatoon. Which is amazing! For 3DS, Pokemon Picross and Dimension Remastered are now available on the eShop, while Mario & Luigi Paper Jam is now available for Europe. On Wii U, Xenoblade Chronicles X is now available worldwide, while Trauma Team came to Wii U's eShop in North America. December 10th, which is tomorrow, Sceptile will be announced as a playable fighter in Pokémon Tournament, so we'll probably get a hype trailer. And Fast Racing Neo launches in North America and Europe again. Uh, to clarify about Sceptile, it's probably Sceptile. We're not actually it's, psychic. It's Sceptile. Um, <laughs> December 11th, the Shovel Knight Amiibo launches in Europe, but it won't be coming to North America until January 8th. December 15th, Koro Koro is revealing big Pokemon news, which I hear is likely about the next movie. The Smash Bros. Direct is coming December 15th as well. That's Tuesday, so stay tuned for news on Cloud and more. And finally, the adorable plush Pikachu from Build-A-Bell Workshop is available starting later this month, but you can pre-order one online today. And then we've got a few general facts from last week and reminders for you. You can get a look at tons of cut content from the SNES classic Donkey Kong Country 2. You can play The Legend of Zelda Triforce Heroes demo online until mid-January in Europe. You cannot ever play the Wii U version of Gone Home, as it's been cancelled. Xenoblade's director wants the next game to be a more traditional JRPG, although Digital Foundry says Xenoblade Chronicles X is the most impressive Wii U game yet. Yeah, it sounds like they mean they wanted to have a more traditional JRPG story, uh, whereas mm. uh, Xenoblade X has kind of an open-world, Western-style, mm. non-linear story. So uh, keep that in mind. Mm. Aonuma is keeping Linkle in mind for future Zelda games. We don't know exactly what that means, but hey. <laughs> Shigesato Itoi recently spoke about the Mother series in an interview. He explained why he thinks it's still popular to this day, why you use the Prey command at the end of Earthbound, and he opened up about the loss of Iwata, so if any of those strike you, you can check them out at Amnesia. Uh, a new Smash Bros. technique called A-Landing could give you a competitive edge. Linkle showcases her abilities in the latest Hyrule Warriors Legends trailer. Lost Reavers, formerly known as Project Treasure, got a new trailer to celebrate its Japanese launch. Nintendo has filed a patent for a system that involves cloud computing. We didn't have the time to talk about it on the show because, you know, for now it's just a patent, but it's super interesting if you want to read more. Kamishima plans to lead Nintendo for more than just one year, as some had previously speculated. Sega has slashed their revenue forecasts by about 90%. Oh my god. Yeah, that's pretty rough. <sighs> Nintendo has teamed up with an Italian fashion label to launch a Mario-inspired clothing line. Monster Hunter X sold nearly 1.5 million copies at launch, boosting 3DS sales by 100,000. And in terms of uh, digital sales, it passed up Monster Hunter 4, 4 Ultimate in just three days for eShop wow. sales. And the Yokai Watch series has now sold over 10 million games. Someone made a concept for a sleek new Game Boy built for modern HD gaming. Nintendo has released a karaoke version of the Super Mario Bros. theme with official lyrics. And a fan recreated the Chow Gardens from Sonic Adventure 2 in Unreal Engine 4. They are beautiful. So that is it for this week's news segment, but stay tuned. After the break, well, we will be talking about the end of Project M. In the meantime, please enjoy a lovely rendition of the Freezy Flake Galaxy music, courtesy of a YouTuber named Bulby. Thank you. 
everybody, we are back with more Nintendo Week. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, and I'm joined as always by Alex Plant. I have not been cancelled. Ben Lamoureux. I have also not been cancelled, thankfully. And we are talking about Project M. It has recently been cancelled. Development stopped immediately. They removed all the download links from their websites. Project M, of course, is a really, really popular Smash Bros. Brawl mod that makes the game a little bit more like Melee, a little bit more balanced, um, and includes a lot of fan content. You know, they've got a bunch of past stages remastered in HD. They've got new stages. They had, like, Bowser's Castle and stuff. They had a ton of awesome costumes. They brought back Mewtwo and Roy. There was so much stuff in Project M. It was really an incredible endeavor, and it just stopped out of the blue. People say it's for fear of legal action. They caught wind that Nintendo was planning to strike down the hammer uh, as soon as they released another update, and they didn't need to do a cease and desist because of, of I have certain Japanese copyright uh, laws, so they, they were worried that, you know, if they released anything more, then, you know, they would just be ruined, and, you know, they wouldn't be warned. The latest build leaked online, though. It included Lynn, Isaac, and Knuckles as playable characters. And Knuckles, and Knuckles, and Knuckles. And Knuckles. And, and Knuckles. And uh, you know, they weren't completed yet, but but they were in development, and that could be part of why they were worried, because what if Isaac is DLC in Smash 4, for example? Um, then Nintendo would have a monetary incentive to, to strike down Project M. We'll see but, if they include Knuckles, then Sega is not going to be able to make massive profits anymore. <laughs> Yeah, they're ten percent. That's why. <laughs> yes, that's why. It's it's all Sega. <laughs> so I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on for Project M. Yeah, and this um, is something that's been Project M has been in development for years, and it has just such mm. a like a a vibrant community. There's almost as many Project M fans as there are Smash fans. I mean, that's I that's that's that, a but... huge exaggeration. That's <laughs> hyperbole to the furthest extent. But I mean, there's there's a lot of people that play Project M. But not anymore. Certainly more than ever played Brawl, right? <laughs> well, uh, I don't know about yeah, I that. Mean, yeah, I know. But, you know, there's there's just so much weird stuff surrounding this this cancellation. Um, yeah, I, I hear the team was a huge development team with a lot of people. I've heard that there was a lot of, like, internal drama going on. So people were thinking originally maybe that's why they canceled it. And maybe it did sort of play into why they canceled it. But I think probably the biggest question, because I would imagine none of us know enough about the details behind sort of the the, the cancellation and the, the, I suppose you could say, drama surrounding Project M to be able to talk about these events specifically. But the bigger question I think that's important to ask is, should Nintendo be okay with stuff like this? And where is the line to draw when mods start doing stuff like this? I think the easy answer is yes, Nintendo should be okay with stuff like this. Modding, has, mean, been yeah, right. <laughs> Modding has been around forever, and it certainly hasn't caused most of the, the games from which mods are made to go under. Obviously, people are invested have invested money in the IP that, that game companies create, have invested money in the gameplay that they create, and even if someone's sort of iterating on that in their free time and releasing it to people, that doesn't necessarily take... Uh, take profits away from the game companies right yeah and you know if, if anything it keeps interest in the series going because like i said it's got just such a vibrant community around it and you look at like steam and everything and one of the big draws to steam is that there's just awesome mods for just about any game you can conceive and obviously you don't quite get that same experience on consoles but this was you know probably the the, the biggest mod that nintendo's ever experienced the biggest mod fan base nintendo's mm -hmm. ever experienced 
Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say, like, when I was waiting for Smash 4, for about a year, year and a half, maybe even two, I was playing Project M because I was way tired of Brawl. Project M brought in new moves, it brought in Mewtwo and Roy, it brought in new stages, everything, I mean, it felt like a new Smash game, and the content was sustained, it was really interesting and fascinating and fun to play, and I think that you guys are right, you know, there there is value in having these things and keeping them around, and I think... It does certainly get really tricky when these mods are adding in new characters like Lynn and Isaac that the original game doesn't have any rights for. Well, I mean, uh, it's Nintendo, but <laughs> still. The original game doesn't have the assets to compete with the mod is what you're saying, I think. They haven't added in all the characters people want. They haven't added in stages people want. And so this mod is adding uh, things right. that aren't making it into the main game. Right. And I think that, you know, that is obviously something that Nintendo wants to be wary about because, you know, what if they want to put Saffron City in Smash Bros. 4? And Project M takes a little bit of the excitement away. Obviously, I, I don't think Project M did take any of the excitement away. I think Project M was very much its own sort of insular thing. And I think a lot of people, you know, surely there were some who say Project M's a lot better, more competitive than Smash 4, more interesting, I like it better. But I think that community is so small compared to how many people are playing Nintendo's official products, that it, it shouldn't be, you know, worth their attention. And obviously, this is all just rumors. We don't know that Nintendo was, was planning to strike at any moment, but I think that Nintendo should embrace stuff like this a lot more openly. Well, assuming that Nintendo was, you know, uh, on the verge of legal action and they were, they were forced to take Project M down or, you know, basically be screwed from the, from the way it was described, um, you know, if Nintendo's worried about this hurting hurting their sales, like, oh, you know, people buy Project M, so now they don't have any need to buy the new Smash, or now they won't buy the DLC for the new Smash if they already have it in Project M, etc. I think they're going to lose a lot more sales by just antagonizing the entire Project M community of thousands of fans by just, you mm -hmm. know, removing it from the internet. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I, I feel like, I think Nintendo's lucky, because if these sort of rumors and allegations are true that they were planning to strike... I think Nintendo's very lucky that they didn't end up doing it because this generation, goodwill is the only thing Nintendo's got going. And if they shut down Project M, I mean, first of all, look how furious the internet was. The whole internet when Project M was canceled. Now imagine if Nintendo was the reason it was canceled mm -hmm. and Nintendo antagonizing not only the, the sort of competitive community, but the fans, the fans who were passionate enough to make this game to, to, to iterate on what they love purely because they love it. And Nintendo has already, you know, upset a, a pretty big chunk of the fan base, and even more so the potential fan base with their YouTube policies. So, I know, my you know, God, you've, I know. you've already upset the streamers and the Let's Players and the millions of people that subscribe to them. And now, if if again, if Nintendo was involved in Project M being taken down, now you're uh, throwing a rock at the modding community as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, as Alex said, you know, that's becoming such a big part of the community of other types of games, especially PC gaming. That's a huge draw. And, and you know, Valve and a lot of other companies are saying, hey, yeah, you're welcome to play mods and, and buy the games and then you can do it. Go ahead. And I think Nintendo would certainly benefit from embracing that kind of similar attitude. And uh, again, I, I just I think they're lucky that that they did not end up taking a step to, to shut it down. It's really sort of stunning to see the difference between how Nintendo reacts to mods and how P the PC developers have s historically reacted. So you look at a game like uh, Warcraft, back in the day, Warcraft didn't have online play. And in fact, online play was first introduced to Warcraft through a mod that someone created that tricked the local multiplayer mm -hmm. into letting you, or the, the land connection, to letting you play over the internet. 
And Blizzard wound up approaching the people who created the mod and saying, this is great. Will you bundle in the thing that you've created with our game? Mm-hmm. And could you imagine Nintendo approaching a, a project no. like Project M and saying, we, people love your content. We want your content in Smash 4, not in they your They should, but I mod. would never be able to imagine like, it. That, that just seems like it, it's a, it's a success, successful pattern that's already been done in the PC mm-hmm. space. Um, yeah. Another good example is Dota. Dota was a, a popular was say, yeah. Warcraft mod, uh, and now it's it's an official has game, a sequel that's an official game. Yeah, yeah, not only that, it's one of the most popular games in the world. The tournaments mm-hmm. for for millions of dollars every year. Yeah, and that came specifically because the company embraced what the fans were doing and and changing about their games and said, "This is fantastic. Let's make it official." Right. Exactly, and it, it, it's just sad that, that the people who mod mm-hmm. Nintendo games don't have, they, they have this fear that they're going to get shut down, rather than this hope that they're going to get scooped up by Nintendo and asked to build stuff for the fans. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's especially uh, disheartening when you see stuff like Project M, you see, you know, back when they would, you know, release new versions of it, and they would put out trailers for, hey, these new stages, hey, these new costumes, people would get so excited to see that content in Smash, that should serve as an indicator to Nintendo that people want this content in Smash Bros. And that should set off a little light in their heads that says, hey, let's make this content instead of, hey, let's shut down other people who are trying to make it and then just bring Dreamland back the way it looked like on Nintendo 64. Yeah. Because, you know, they were they were like remaking stages like Saffron City. They haven't even brought the old Saffron City into Smash 4. And they're obviously never going to. Or they're not going to remake Saffron City. Right. After playing the uh, the Project M version of uh, Hyrule Castle, I was disappointed when Nintendo just released yeah. the old Hyrule Castle verbatim. Exactly. I mean, and especially, I think, with stuff like costumes, because that is one of the biggest things, I think, that's interesting about Project M. Stages 2, of course. There's like a great Wario Land stage and there's uh, some really interesting stuff there. But especially with costumes, which is such a big fan service element of Smash, which is largely a fan service game already, it's so strange to see them, again, not antagonizing because we don't know that's what happened, but it would be extremely strange to see them antagonizing that. And if, if there wasn't at least significant concern over legal action then they wouldn't have pulled all the links and you know been so secretive about it so mm-hmm. whether whether or not it was actually warranted whether there was actually legal action coming or they were just getting really paranoid <laughs> remains to be seen but clearly they were pretty terrified you don't take something that you've spent years working on and just try to erase all traces of it from the internet well yeah members of the community uh sort of came out one of them posted on facebook a a long post you know they were saying the dev team was talking to a lawyer Mm -hmm. about you know what kinds of things they can do to to navigate the the kind of modding situation that project m is in and the conclusions that the lawyer basically told them was you have to just shut everything down. There's no way you can navigate this. You need to just stop immediately and pray to God that they don't do anything. I think the really sad thing about how this all shook out is that these were people that were really passionate about creating stuff for Nintendo fans with Nintendo content. Mm-hmm. And now that they've been driven from this modding scene, they're going to go on to create their own stuff. Their own stuff, which may or may not be also be free, but which now will definitely be in some way competing with what Nintendo's doing. And given the track record the Project M team has with creating content that people that play Nintendo games love, I think we can imagine that they'll go on to create more stuff that Nintendo fans love. And if Nintendo really sees things like this as a threat in some way, which we're saying that we don't necessarily think that they do, but they have had a history of shutting down projects like this, Mm -hmm. uh, they're 
kind of creating their own worst enemy. That yeah, that's. I mean, really we see Nintendo point. released something like Nintendo released a game like Mario Maker, which shows that they saw the idea of fan-made Mario Maker as a threat, and they wanted to make their own. Mm. Uh, so by driving your most dedicated, passionate fans away, you're basically creating ammunition that can be used against you. And I think a lot of them, too, it's it's disheartening. I, I think a lot of them are just going to be dissuaded from doing that kind of stuff in the future. Like, I know, for example, I do a lot of, like, music remixes and stuff. I love Nintendo music, and, and I, I love changing it and imagining it in new ways. And for a while, I was looking at Project M and thinking, wow, this, this is incredible. I would love to... I mean, Smash Bros. is part of the reason that I love changing the music in these ways. I love sort of collecting Nintendo musics and, and, and creating this sort of chronicle and, and this, this, this list of things that, that are reimagined in interesting ways. And that's exactly what Project M was doing. And for a while I was thinking, hey, this is exactly what I would love to do. I would love to be the music director for Smash Bros. And this is a really easy, interesting step. And I can't imagine if I had applied to the team and made it in and, and, you know, ultimately everything was getting shut down by Nintendo, that there is all this this fear surrounding the legal status of this stuff. I know I, for one, wouldn't be going on to make different content. I would be saying, if I can't make Nintendo content, I don't want to do this anymore. And that's that's so sad for, for people who are interesting and creative and doing interesting things. Yeah, and that sort of drives back to the the history of this industry, where the the people who started off making games were people who loved playing games. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you if you don't kind of let the fans have their way in, and you don't let them explore uh, their sort of development journey on in their own way, yeah. how are they ever going to become the the next generation of game creators? Yeah, and Nintendo is this company who I, I mean I think it's safe to say that that people love Nintendo and Nintendo IP so much more than any other company around. Um, and so they're the ones who are going to have the biggest, you know, sort of nostalgia-driven, fan-driven effort behind them. And and if Nintendo's trying to squash this out, then all the benefits that all these other companies are getting from those kinds of efforts, uh, you know, Nintendo would have far and away the biggest benefits, and they're, they're actively trying to eliminate that, whereas other companies are encouraging it. Yeah, you know, definitely, like you said, you know, Nintendo is... Has just the richest library of IP, and a lot of people have, you know, grown up inspired by Nintendo to make games. But when Nintendo doesn't have particularly great relationship with its fans or with developers, then you start to see, you know, games that are perfect for the Nintendo audience popping up uh, elsewhere instead. Like, for example, Axiom Verge, which is just clearly an homage to Metroid, but Sony came in and snatched that yeah, up. Yeah, and so, Axiom Verge. You look at stuff like Undertale has been hugely, hugely popular among people who especially like Earthbound and Mother. Um, you know, these kinds of games are, are emerging in other spaces that are not Nintendo's. And, and and Nintendo's no longer really competing in a lot of those spaces either. They're not making yeah. a new 2D Metroid. They're not making a new Earthbound. They're not making... Both huge mistakes, by the way. Right. Yeah. They're not making F-Zero, uh, like we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier. Although that is on Wii U, but your, yeah, your point still stands. I mean, it doesn't have to be on Wii U. Right, right. Yeah, the, the barriers to making games are, are, are falling more and more all the time. Uh, and in particular, the kinds of game that, games Nintendo makes, because they don't tend to make these big-budget games that require a right. massive studio, right. um, which is sort of why I brought that up earlier. Anyone can make a kind of Super Mario Brothers-style game now, because 2D platformers are so easy to make. They're so mm-hmm, easy yeah. to make. Nintendo made a maker for 2D pl- Mario games. <laughs> um... <laughs> 
So, you know, at what point is Nintendo going to continue to be the special company that they are if they're, you know, driving so many of the people who could have been creating the next big Nintendo game to now create the next big not Nintendo game uh, and one that maybe surpasses the games that Nintendo's currently making? Sounds like we're wrapping up. So, everybody, thank you so much for listening. This is the Endo Nintendo Week for today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or subscribe to us on YouTube at Gamnesia TV for bite-sized discussions from the show. And please head to iTunes to leave us a review. It really helps with visibility, so we greatly appreciate it. We're up to 46. We're aiming for 50 and 60 and, you know, however many we can get. Uh, We love reading what you guys have to say. We appreciate it so much. We're so thankful that you guys are listening. So if you like what we're doing, please consider helping out. If you have feedback for Nintendo Week, please send it to Colin at Gamnesia.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Colin McIsaac. And remember to send in your questions about Nintendo, about our show. We love engaging with you guys, and we read them and talk about them here on the show, so it's a great way to get involved. Again, that's C-O-L-I-N at Gamnesia.com and at Colin McIsaac, C-O-L-I-N-M-C-I-S-A-A-C. And Alex, they can find you on Twitter. And you can find me on Twitter at Legend of Lex. If you can't wait till next week for more of our stuff, you can head to Gamnesia.com to see more gaming news as it happens. We've got Sony, Microsoft, Indie, you name it, and even Nintendo news that we didn't have the time to discuss on this week's show. As we head out, please enjoy a remix of Super Mario World's castle theme uh, as created by Garrett Williamson for Project M. Thank you all so much for listening, and we hope you have another great week. And I think that is important considering, you know, what he said about making sure that that Wii owners would have some reason to move over to the Wii U. Um, And I think it's interesting considering that there's been a lot of stuff going on, a lot of moves that Nintendo's been making um, that kind of conflicted with that idea that they were building NX off of the Wii U's architecture. Um, The one I'm specifically remembering, and there were a couple more, but there was a software group uh, or hardware group or something that Nintendo joined, the Kronos Group, I think it was called, um whose purpose was to make software development across different kinds of hardware significantly easier easier for third party and for smaller developers. And that move looked in many ways like they were saying, hey, look, what we need to do is is replicate a lot of the architecture, a lot of the, the easy software development features uh, that Xbox One and PlayStation 4 are including. And, and let me rephrase that. And it looked in, in many ways like that move was kind of this 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 acknowledgement. Look, developing software for Wii U and 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 our architecture is too difficult on developers, especially when all the other systems, all the other major gaming platforms are significantly similar enough in architecture that porting them is, you know, the snap of a finger, whereas Wii U requires significant recoding work. Um, and I think 
And I think the idea that that they were building the NX off of Wii U architecture conflicted in many ways with that. And so I find it interesting that you bring that up because, yeah, maybe they have changed plans and maybe this is just one of many clues that they have. Maybe maybe the Wii U architecture conflicting with those other events uh, is actually... Hmm, how do I want to say that? Maybe the idea that, that, that the Wii U architecture uh, serving as the foundation for the NX is sort of a relic of, of their old direction for the Wii U or, or for the NX. I really have no idea what I'm saying. <laughs>